Hello and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. My name is Jubal McGowan. I'm an actor and a writer and now a podcaster. I've worked in TV, film and theatre. I've just done two years on Hollyoaks and I'm very excited to get started with our guests. This podcast is to support the incredible work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. Now, they do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at the point of use. My guest this week is the entrepreneur, businessman, and formidable former dragon, Theo Pofitas. He gained a reputation in his youth as a savior of seemingly doomed businesses. To many, he was considered the grim reaper, as whenever he would inquire about buying an ailing business, it could only mean the end. He brought stabilization and incredible success to Ryman's, Robert Diaz, Bow Avenue, and is the former owner of La Senza and former chairman of Millwall Football Club. These days, he's become the new chancellor of Southampton Solent University, and he has set his retirement date. He said it will be the day he dies. I wanted to speak to Theo because he left school without any qualifications whatsoever, but his drive to become a success, to make something of himself in business, was all-consuming. It's an incredibly inspiring story of someone who prevailed throughout discrimination, uh, but also uh, didn't allow his dyslexia to slow him down. He knew it was going to be a problem, but he developed what he calls workarounds, ways in which he can work around his dyslexia to still be a success. I really enjoyed speaking to Theo. He's incredibly articulate. He's very, very sharp. He's talked about his dyslexia and his relationship to his dyslexia at length many times. And he talks about it here incredibly concisely and in great detail. And for anyone listening at whatever age, it's a really inspiring listen. Theo, thank you so much, so much for coming. Pleasure, you. It was an absolute pleasure researching, researching you. I read your book. Oh, so that's four people. That's four people now that have read my book. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. Right. If, if you don't mind, Theo, could we start with... Um, a potted history, uh, in your own words. Potted history. Um, came to the UK in 1966, lived in Manchester, Gorton. If the world was going to have an enema, that would be a great place to begin. <laughs> um, we won the World Cup Yeah. Uh, that year, so that was a good omen. I uh, didn't speak a word of English. I uh, got put straight into um, an all-English-speaking school. I was a bit of a novelty because there wasn't a lot of immigrants in those days. I had a few nicknames that uh, are now you can't actually repeat because uh, I think you did probably end up in prison. And uh, I didn't actually know what they meant, to be perfectly frank. So I was never offended. Mm. It's only much later in life that I realised I wasn't one. And I came from a different country. Yeah. And um, then uh, moved to uh, London, which is a long story how we got there. But we did get to London, to North London. and went to comprehensive school there. Left school at 16 with absolutely nothing other than then a certificate in colouring in maps. Anybody who wants to know what that is, that's geography. I was very good at colouring in between the lines. Um, and um, got a job as a filing clerk, which um, was the only job I could actually get. I went to about a 1,000 interviews, made about a 1,000 applications, possibly more. And um, that was the only job I got. And actually, I got that job, frank, quite frankly, because the government at the time were giving companies an allowance to employ people youngsters who have never had a job before and it was 1500 pounds the allowance so my salary was 1500 pounds 
And they gave me the job because they wanted a T-boy filing clerk. And uh, they just took me on, basically. It was an absolute unmitigated disaster <laughs> because I was never been diagnosed as being dyslexic. Uh, we didn't know what that was. But the point was, I just filed everything in totally the wrong places. <laughs> it was a nightmare. I was not a very good filing clerk, but I did make a great cup of tea <laughs> and I was very popular, which means they tolerated me for about just over a year. But when the money ran out from the government, that was it. They, they pulled me in and said that they really liked me. They thought I'd done really, really well. I made a great cup of tea. I was really popular and they had no idea how they were going to manage without me but they were going to try. <laughs> and I was back back in the real world without a job, about about to turn uh, turn 18. And were you still working at Wimpy uh, as well? Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I, yes, I had loads of jobs. Yeah. I mean, I was quite quite uh, industrious in, in that way. I, I enjoyed working. You know, my, my, my parents split up, and so it uh, was single-parent family uh, living um, on the top of a, of a tenement block in Tufnell Park, uh, fifth floor, small balcony, no lifts. And mum couldn't really provide very much. So if I wanted anything, I had to work. So I was always, I always found jobs. I mean, uh, everything from delivering uh, mini cab cards in those days, there wasn't Google. And uh, the only way you could call a, a taxi mini cab is the card. So you put mini cabs would pay people to put cards through people's letterboxes. I'd work in, uh, I got a job in a wimpy bar, which I'd, I'd worked for many years in the weekend. Even when I was working as a filing clerk, I kept that job on over the weekend as well. So I had a sort of seven day a week job. I quite enjoyed that, to be honest with you. And it was nice. It, it, I should have learned from that to begin with that I actually enjoyed being with people. Mm. So filing and making a cup of tea in an office was really not my gig. Whereas, you know, working a weekend in a wimpy bar was, was fab because I could meet people, chat with people. I didn't need any um, writing skills. You know, it's just, it was very much based on personality and being able to chat. Hmm. So, and, and actually be able to relate with people and engage with people, uh, which I found enjoyable and easy to do. So, what does dyslexia mean to you? It means a lot of things. Uh, it means for me, not being able to read fast not being able to spell, not being able to do grammar, struggling with short-term memory. And then there's the gift of dyslexia, the ability to find workarounds, problem-solving, to deal with those issues that were big on my agenda. It means you know, other people have lots of other different issues, but those were the issues that dyslexia had for me. But it did also give me the ability to find problem solving and workarounds, which I did very successfully to survive school. And then obviously to be able to use those skill set in work and business in the future. Running through your book is, is that hands-on approach that you have. Um, and, and it's all about simplicity. You have a real sense of your strengths, it feels like, from, from quite early on. And getting amongst people, talking to people is certainly, certainly one of them. Was it at Wimpy Bar, uh, for example, that you found out that talking to people and uh, and engaging with people is where your strength was? Quite honestly, uh, it was the, uh, the outside world. I could I could engage and talk to anybody about anything, mm. and I, I'm, I was a youngster, a bit like a sponge. I, I very quickly um, learned things, but 
I couldn't learn things in a traditional way, which was the most frustrating thing at school. I'd lose concentration in a heartbeat. Yeah. And even when I concentrated, the short-term recall was appalling, absolutely appalling. On the other hand, I could watch TV and I couldn't remember whatever was being taught. Um, I used to watch a thing called Tomorrow's World, which was a tech program, really, of its day uh, on BBC Two. It was all about technology and science and all sorts of things. And it was all about technology. And I, I was like a sponge. I could always remember those historical TV programs. I'd learn from those. But do history at school was impossible. Do science at school was impossible. Now, so I'd get really rubbish marks at school, which would give you the impression that I was an absolute thicko. But then again, my knowledge and my ability to communicate was actually nowhere near that spectrum. But that doesn't give you any qualifications. In fact, the, the, the funniest thing, a few years back, I was cleaning, cleaning out my, um, my garage and I found some of my mother's, uh, who sadly has passed away now, but uh, old things. And I was clearing out and all my old school books were there. Wow. So she must have taken them around with her. And in there was my school reports for the last three years at school, which I hadn't seen, you know, in, in sort of 40 years. Yeah, wow. In fact, I couldn't even remember. And I've actually got a copy. I've actually got a photograph, which I now keep on my iPad. Sometimes I use it as a screensaver, <laughs> which is my last year's report from my headmistress because it does really give you a clue about where things went absolutely wrong for me. This is my, my school report, the final report at school, January 1976, fifth year. Uh, my name's spelled wrongly, sadly, <laughs> but we'll give them, the, we'll not let them out. Of course. There's the final overview from my head of upper school, and it goes something like this. There is much in these reports for Theo to read carefully and dwell on. There are some very shrewd professional comments that cannot be ignored. A splendid person with fine qualities, but unfortunately, there are no examinations in this field. <laughs> there we are. So a failure at school. Does it give you an immense sense of satisfaction? Uh, you talk in your book about uh, your head of year realizing how bright you are. Um, and how switched on you are when you talk about propellers yes. uh, on a boat reversing. And Mr. Priddle, it, it sort of dawns on him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sea captain, as you, uh, as you, as you call him in the, in the book. And that he, you, you spent an hour talking after he, he sort of the penny had dropped for him and he had your grades in front of him. And he realized this one slipped through, you know, slipped through the gap in education that they hadn't quite cottoned on to, to your intelligence and, and the strength that you had. Does it give you a, I mean, I'm sure it must give you some, a great sense of satisfaction now, given, you know, what, in 10 years after leaving school, you were a paper millionaire. Yeah, I mean, it gave me more satisfaction when I became Chancellor of uh, Southampton Solent University. Yeah. And I was up there wearing all my gowns, gold gowns and everything else. And I did, I did mention Mr. Priddle in my, in my speech. <laughs> Going from nothing in education to actually being the chancellor of a university, uh, for me, was probably one of my biggest achievements because education, my, my years in school, were not very nice. 
um, it was always a struggle. It was always a fight. It was always difficult. So I failed. And often, I, failure for me was a big thing because I'm a trier. I, I work hard. Mm. And to fail and not know why you failed and not know why you can't do things that other people can do in the same time frame. And you know that you're as bright and you're confident, mm. which I, I never was not confident. And my, my, my peers, my friends were not the same people that were in my classes because I, I couldn't relate to the kids that were in my classes. I had nothing in common with them. Yeah. But my friends were in different classes. They were in different sets. So it was always then difficult to try and keep up with them because they'd be doing different things together. And for me to be sort of hanging on to them, to not lose them, was always a challenge. So, so school was, was a big failure for me early on in life. And then the further kick was trying to get a job mm. and finding that I couldn't fill in application forms. I couldn't turn up at an interview. And they give you an application form, and I couldn't actually fill it in. So what chance had I got of getting a job? So as much as, you know, you may have failed your grades at school, how much do you feel like school had, had failed you, that they hadn't properly sufficiently seen your, your talent? It's, it's very difficult because I don't do the blame game. I mean, I've always taken responsibility. Mm. So I've never blamed anybody else for any shortcomings that I may have had or have, in, even today, even in business. I always take responsibility. I don't like people blame everyone else. Mm. And the only common factor is themselves. So put blame on the school, I, I think it's probably unfair mm. because it's a comprehensive school. They had thousands of kids. My issues were not commonly known in those days. You know, it's, it was still a bit like the, the Wild West. We'd come out of the 60s. We're in the early 70s now. Don't forget the war had only been over. 25 years yeah so it hadn't been long gone i mean we were just celebrating 70 the day 75 years yeah and another another 25 years it'll be the it'll be the war of 100 years ago yeah you know so people living in that time won't really it's that ancient history whereas for me i mean the war was a very real thing people kept speaking about it so you got blaming the school probably unfair i mean they were doing the best of what they could do and it was for me i never i never at the time felt it was somebody else's fault it was my fault were your parents dyslexic do you think do you suspect uh, i suspect mum dad could read and write mum couldn't read and write mm. so could come from it whereas my, my my elder brother was was fine he was in the, you know he went on to his a levels did a degree he was fine which is also also the other difficulty because he he could do all these things yeah but i couldn't do them but very much lacked the get up and go I had. Yeah. It was far more studious and reserved. Your um your children are dyslexic as well, aren't they? Um what what help did you and could you bring uh, given the, you know, given your dyslexia to, to them? Well, strange enough, that's when I realised I had a problem. Right. I realised what my problem was is when I had my own children. Yeah. And they started struggling in school. I recognised all those traits. <laughs> I've got all those traits. I was never diagnosed. The traits that were in my children were very much the traits that I suffered from. So it was really easy at that stage for me to say, oh, you know, I recognize all of that. And then you get them assessed because now we're, we're, we've moved on in time. The education system is a lot more aware. There's a lot more uh, help out there. And they get diagnosed as being dyslexic. And so, oh, right, well, that would explain a lot.
See, dyslexia for me was was never never a curse. In some ways, it was a benefit. No, I'll take that back. In most, for me, it was it was a benefit. It definitely was a benefit because being bright and dyslexic meant that I had to find way other ways of dealing with the the work that I had to do at school. I had to find workarounds, other ways of getting through the challenges that I had. So I became really apt of finding workarounds to everything, it's problem solving, finding another way to deal with the ho the homework, the work I had to do. So going out to work was a piece of cake, and problem solving was a piece of cake because I've been doing it all my life. I've been problem solving all my life. So that was a real big strength for me, which set me up really to allow me to get on in life and I've found doing things that other people were struggling with because no one had told them what to do a piece of cake because I could work out what to do yeah so you found that your limitations actually you, you you revealed your strengths off the back of knowing how limited you were in in certain in certain ways yeah I, I, I took I took great comfort from that really great ancient Greek philosopher Clintos Iswudos <laughs> he said a good man must know his limitations. Mm. Dirty Harry. Yeah, and and really, once you <laughs> once you you accept you recognise those limitations, you can deal with them. Mm. And I found really lots of ways of, uh, of of dealing with issues in business, which I I'd used the same methods to deal with my issues at school. And it feels like from from the book, the amount of resilience it it gave you, because not only did you have uh, you're hamstrung by dyslexia. You then also suffered discrimination at multiple places that, that you worked initially. But there's a toughness, I feel like, you gained from knowing your limitations and then having these workarounds. Well, you're defined by your experiences in life. You're born, we're all born, and we have characters. And you can take two kids with exactly the same characters, put them in different environments all their life growing up, and there'll be different personalities. So we're all defined by the experiences we have in some way or another. I, I never found that because I'd had adversity all the way through life, coming, coming across other points of adversity through later life was never really an issue. It was in some ways, well, expected as far as I was concerned. Yeah. You talk a lot about keeping it simple throughout the book and the talks I've seen you, seen you give. How has keeping it simple for you helped? Well, it, it just gets rid of the noise. And I can do more than one thing at the same time, by the way. I've, I've never struggled. In fact, I, I have to do more than one thing at a time. Even when I'm talking to you now, believe you me, I'm doing other things as well. <laughs> um, I, 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 just, I just can't I can't just do one thing. I, I, there's distractions that go on all over the place. Keeping things simple allows you to, to do things. It's, it gets rid of the noise. It's always a lot of noise. It's never, it, I, I've just found that if I can keep things absolutely in the simplest format, I will achieve a lot more than if I overcomplicate something. And I'm, I'm more than happy to be achieving 90 or 95% with 50% of the effort rather than trying to put in 100% of the effort to get 100% mm. because I can do two 95% yeah. and I'll get more done. What advantage do you feel being dyslexic has, has given you? Being dyslexic has allowed me to 
be able to problem solve because to get through my early life, I really needed to be able to find different ways of dealing with the workload I had and the issues that I had. Yeah. So actually going to work was a piece of cake because I could problem solve from the word go. What advice would you give to, to a young person who's been diagnosed with dyslexia? Uh, I think the same advice I'd, I'd give my own, uh, I gave my own kids. Let's find out what we're weak at. Let's find out what we're good at because I was also very good at numbers. I didn't, you know, dyslexia did not, not affect me on numbers. I could do all sorts of stuff in my head and numbers that made me look like a star in the classes I was in. We're all different. We're all good at some stuff and we've got challenges at other stuff. It's dealing with our challenges, finding a way of dealing with those challenges and excelling in the things that we're good at, that we enjoy. And I've never really, I've got one daughter who's just become a teacher who's also dyslexic. She didn't even want to stay on and do her A-levels, never mind go to uni uh, and do uh, teacher training. But as you found a passion, then you follow that passion. And if you find a passion, then you'll find a career, you'll find the future. I wouldn't be too hung up about academic qualifications and what they give you. I've already read out my head of year report who thought I was a failure because being you know, an all-round good egg hmm. is not going to get you anywhere in life. Well, that's absolute poppycock because you find your passion. Find that passion. Yeah. It will take you to where you want to go. And if you've got a passion for something, you will be good at it. Yes, absolutely. It's very rare that you're not good at something you're passionate about. So that would be the main thing you encourage young people to do is to seek out the thing that they are most passionate about because it will follow that um, if they're passionate about it, they'll be good. It will. And, and you know, if, you, if you're not good, you can't, you can't be good at everything. It's irrelevant. So you're, not, you know, so you're not good at writing. You're not good at spelling. So what? I learned to type very quickly. I learned to program com computers very quickly. So I could find workarounds around my problem. <laughs> and boy, the minute I could afford a, a secretary, it was brilliant. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about all that nonsense anymore um, because I never had to write anything. I never had to spell anything. I never had to worry about grammar. Well, I could do numbers. You know, somebody else, I paid somebody else to do all, <laughs> all, this, all this stuff I couldn't do. Someone else does. I could pay them to do it as I still, as I still do today. Well, the numbers thing, I absolutely envy you for. My uh, my dyslexia absolutely is numbers. They, re I mean, even today, I'm I'm completely useless at them. It's uh, it's like a, an overworked computer drive working when whenever I have numbers in front of me. Um, so I'm very envious of you for that. Theo, it's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Was there was there anything else that you'd uh, that you'd like to say? No, I, I mean, I, other than it, anybody out there who's suffering from dyslexia. By all means, seek out help. There is ways of dealing with the issues. I have to find my own workarounds. But there's a lot, lot better workarounds out there now that you can actually tap into that, and, and ways that people can show you to find workarounds to deal with the day-to-day -day issues that you may have in having dyslexia. But it shouldn't in any way stop you in following your passion, following your dream and achieving at the highest rate in the subject that you actually are passionate about and want to do for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Thank you, Theo. Likewise. Bye-bye. 
You have been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jumont McGowan. My guest was entrepreneur and businessman Theo Pafitas. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its services, go to dyslexia-help.org.